My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am really glad that each and every one of you is here this morning. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful that we can sing of your faithfulness. So grateful for your love that pursues us, that chases after us. Lord, we acknowledge that um, we enter this place this morning, some rejoicing, some celebrating new births, some celebrating steps of growth, some celebrating a wonderful family vacation. We also acknowledge that some come into this place in pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, Some come mourning. We want to lift up specifically this morning the Runyon family who is uh, mourning the loss of our dear brother Ron who served this church in your kingdom um, so faithfully. Would you be with them? Would you give them your comfort? Remind them of the truth and the reality of eternity with you. Father, this morning as we enter into your word, would you give us eyes to see? Would you open up our hearts? Would you remove any barriers to receiving what you have for us today through your word and through your Holy Spirit? Father, I ask that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they bring you glory and honor, burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Oftentimes I will start off with a question that's kind of deep and makes you think. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to give you a music trivia question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Think. What are the Rolling Stones... Iron Maiden, some of you may or may not know that band, Kid Rock, and Dirks Bentley, what do those musicians or bands all have in common? I want you to think about that. Some of you are going, you're flashing back to some spring break stories you don't want to repeat, perhaps. They have all sung songs about the prodigal son. Did you know that? If you're a music fan, they have all, look it up, YouTube it. They have all sung. I'm not going to repeat some of the lyrics. But they have all stepped into the great story of the prodigal son. There's something about the prodigal son. There's something about this story that captivates our imaginations, that penetrates our hearts, even in a broader culture that may or may not acknowledge the name of Jesus. But there's something about these, this story that is still with us, 2,000 years, that still captures our imagination. Now this morning, as we wrap up our series on the parables, I want to remind us of this 
kind of truth that we've been pursuing in the series, and that's this, that parables are more than stories that illustrate a point. They do that. Okay, our brains are designed, we're designed to, to, to process story, to process narrative. That's what, that's what we remember. That's what really captures us. Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher of all time. Amen? And it's not just the propositional truth, but it's the stories, it's the parables that capture us. And not only do they help us understand things, sometimes they confuse, sometimes they... But, but what they do is parables make us do the work that allows Jesus to work in us and through us. Now, this is our final week of the series, and it's almost like the you know, the, the band that, that comes up and they haven't played your favorite song yet and you say, play this! I can't imagine doing a series on the parables without doing the prodigal son because it's just so beautiful and so compelling. So we're going to dig into it this morning. If you're one of those who say, oh my goodness, I've... I've seen this, I've heard it, what, what possibly could you say about the prodigal son that will cause me to think differently? I would say, let's see what the Holy Spirit can do. If you're new to this, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you're in for a treat as we dive into this classic text. Now, let's, uh, let's get a little context here at, uh, at the beginning. My fancy new device that's slow. We'll get there. There we go. Just to have it. All right. So parables, they and, and Matt, Matt Casey did a beautiful job last week, but he 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 reminded us that parables knock us off center. Okay, they 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 get us out of our slumber sometimes. And for Jesus, Jesus is addressing a particular audience in this parable. And I want us to start there. I want you to go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. And he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He is in community with sinners. Now, in his audience, Jesus, and it's, it's often a, you know, there, there's two groups. There's, there's those who are um, the sinners, the tax collectors, the down and out, the worst of the worst. But then there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, back in this day, and we, we said this a couple weeks ago, the Pharisees, sometimes from our perspective, uh, you know, we think of them in a way that's worse than what they would have thought of them at the time. You know, you kind of had three groups of people, you know, that were, you know, pretty devout. You had the Essenes who were kind of in the caves and, and withdrew from society. You had the Sadducees who would have been the theological liberals of the day. They did not accept uh, the miraculous. They did not believe in, in eternal life. And then you had the Pharisees who had right doctrine and, and were serious, and there was this community of learners. But there's a problem with the Pharisees that we'll get into. 
So what are the Pharisees doing? They are muttering. They are complaining about Jesus because of the crowd that he is hanging out with. So let me ask you from the beginning, how do people look at you in terms of your ability to both love, be receptive to people who may be struggling, but at the same time, uh, not compromise? There's always a tension there. There may be a tension in your work life. There may be a tension with your kids. How do I, you know, Jesus had this perfect ability to hang out with sinners but yet be without sin. And that's always a challenge to us. Now he's going to dive in and he's going to talk about uh, some lostness. And he's going to give us uh, a couple warm-up stories. He's going to give us the parable of the lost sheep and then the lost coin. We sang about the lost sheep already, to, to, to leave the 99 and, and go after the one. And then he's going to give us the big story. The big story. And he's going to launch in verse 11. And that's our focus. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, I want you to see this through the eyes of the Pharisees for a moment. How would they have perceived what Jesus was doing here? The son goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance. Typically, when do you give an inheritance? When you die. Father, I wish you were dead is basically what he's saying here. Now, as a younger son... He would have been entitled to one-third. The older son would have had the two-thirds. But I want my, my inheritance, and I want it now. And he can't just Venmo it to him. He can't just transfer money from the account. To actually do this, he would have had to liquidate some of his assets and then give this to his son. Now, this word property is bios. Fascinating. I want you to think about this. So he's saying bios, like biology, like life. So he's, he is dividing his life. That's what he is giving to the younger son. Now, if you're a Pharisee, and you're, what would be the proper response? There's no way. I mean, you might knock the kid down. I mean, that, that would be what the... This is not a... a, a <laughs> this is not a righteous request to the father. But even more shocking than that, he complies. He gives it to him. If you're, are, are you kidding me? What, what fine, upstanding father would actually do this for his son? Let's continue. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, 
but no one gave him anything. Now, how would Jesus' audience have heard this? Sinners probably going to identify with him, but the Pharisees, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me what this younger son is doing? And to add insult to in injury, he is, he is eating, wants to eat pig slop. Pigs are an unclean animal. I mean, this is, this is over-the-top badness. Now, what what's, I found fascinating in this story and read a lot of, I didn't just look at like popular songs that were related to it. I actually read commentaries and looked at some stuff. And one of the biblical scholars made this observation, which I thought was fascinating. What's the cause of the younger son's need? What's the cause of that? Why is he in need? Why is he starving? Bible scholar Mark Allen Powell, he's, he did this experiment. Most people are familiar at some level with the prodigal son. And he went to an American seminary and he said, retell the story. So what did they pick up on? Well, he squandered his wealth. That's why he's in need. Is that in the text? Absolutely. 100%. Right there. Then he went to a, a Russian seminary. And he said, why was he in need? What did they pick up on? What was their number one answer? There was a famine in the land. Well, World War II, some rough stuff happened in Russia with, with famine and people dying, so they had that in their imagination. And then he went to Tanzania and he said, why was he starving? They said, well, nobody gave him anything to eat. Nobody gave. I, I thought that was fascinating. I'm not sure exactly what to do with it. But three different reasons why he's in need. Sometimes in our own culture, we get so caught up in just the personal me and Jesus kind of thing that sometimes we neglect the broader community. I think there's a both and this in the text here because all three are in there. All three are inspired. All three are important. So the younger brother is in a fix. Verse 17, though, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love the phrase, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself. Now, let's look at the younger brother, though, for a minute. Is, is this like this full 100%? I realize all the errors of my ways and I'm coming back. Probably not. There's probably some mixed motives. I think he's really, really hungry, and he's really, really in need, and he's weighing his options. But I think one of the things that we can observe from this is, um, I don't know about you, but my, my turning back, my repentance hasn't always been perfect. 
Sometimes my motives aren't perfect. Sometimes I don't fully see my sin. I don't fully see how desperate I am. But there's something beautiful about this turning back. Now, go back to the Pharisees. How would they be hearing this? How would they be experiencing? That father's going to give it to him when he gets back. I mean, some of the laws would say, you know, he probably had a right to to stone his son, probably had a right to do that. He, he certainly was not obligated to take him back. Let's continue. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. I'm not sure if there's a more beautiful story to capture the love of the Father here. Now, he sees him while he's a long way off. Use your imagination for just a moment. My guess is this was not the first day he looked out into the field and said, is he coming back? Is he coming back? And and some of you, I know this, this gets at your heart because you have somebody and you're asking yourself that question. Are they coming back? When will they come back? When will they come back? And we, we, we feel the heart, we see the heart of the father for his son. Now, culturally, if you're the, you're the father, you're, the last thing you do is hike up your robe and go run. Because to do that would be to expose your bare legs. That is an undignified thing to do. The Pharisees would have been flabbergasted by this this picture of the father running. But it's his compassion. We did a series on compassion. It's it's from the bowels. It's, It's this deep pity, concern. It's like similar to the word womb. I mean, there's there's a love, there's a care for a child here. And he goes to him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm, I'm dead. My name is no longer that. And then he's going to launch into his plan. Hey, I'm going to come back to work for you and I'm, I'm going to earn my way back here. Pharisees might be saying... You're right, he's going to earn his way back. I don't trust him. But I I just picture this. He's he's trying to get those next words out. And and what does the father say? But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now we can observe a few details of the story. There's a robe that he gives to him. I mean, this is a, it's a sign of honor. He put sandals on his feet. A son would wear sandals. A slave would be barefoot. And he gives him a, the signet ring, the ring that would have the, the seal of the family on it. And they would kill the fatted calf that would feed probably a hundred 
But we see the extravagance of this. Now, a lot of times when we talk about this, we end the story here. You know, I picture this, this video montage of, you know, the son at his lowest and he comes back and there's this beautiful embrace of the father and the party and one shining moment is playing in the background. And we celebrate. I see the Kentucky sweatshirt that reminds me of NCAA basketball, so... I won't say anything about the Hoosiers, oh my goodness, distant memories. We digress. But we want to end the story here, but that's not where it ends. We got to continue. Meanwhile, one of the most powerful words here, sometimes it's translated now, but this this glue word that holds the story together. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Here's my question. Brother, where have you been? Where where were you? Why didn't you hear this? You know, and, and, and some even look at this and say, well, when the younger brother left town, who should have gone after him? The older brother should have gone after him. That's kind of your job. That's your responsibility. So he didn't do that. But is he so disconnected that he doesn't even know what's happened to his brother? He knows what's happened, but he doesn't even know he's come back. He's so distant from his father. Or is he, does he know and he's making a statement? Is he sticking it to him? We don't know for sure, but we know there's distance. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Now, put yourself in the shoes of the father for a moment. Imagine the pain when your younger son leaves. Wish you were dead, give me my stuff. Give me what's owed me. But imagine the pain right now. The father's pleading with him. He's pleading. Come, come. Probably the greatest day of the life of the father and he can't celebrate... His oldest son won't celebrate. He won't come into the party with him. This idea of pleading, of advocating, it's really interesting. The word, when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as being our our advocate, our comforter, comes from the same word. Those, those Those are related. But he is pleading with him. Come in. 
Come in. Celebrate with us. Celebrate with us. Notice the details, though, of the brother. This son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, look at, look, look at all what I've done. I have, I have done everything perfectly. And yet you're not even going to do this for me? Now, what was, the, what was the older brother entitled to get? Two-thirds. So whose money is being spent on the party? It's the older brother, right? Interesting the transactional mindset that's going on here. Oh, my goodness, we got to go. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He is lost and is found. And then the story ends. What happens to the older brother? We can speculate, but the truth is we don't know. Why would Jesus leave the story open-ended like that? Perhaps he's inviting us into the story to ponder and participate. So let's do that for a few minutes. Let's make some application. I want you to see this this morning, that every application that we would make is first dependent upon seeing the love and compassion of the Father. Let's start there. We see that the Father had compassion for both sons. We see the compassion of the Father that compels him to chase after the rule breaker, the younger son, and the rule follower, the older brother. He has compassion for both. Both are lost. Both are distant from the father. Both have to come back and receive and accept the love of the father. Friends, this morning, I, I don't know where you're coming from exactly. We've all at some point been younger brothers or older brothers or some combination. Either it's the sins that are obvious or the sins that, you know, we're just trying to do it on our own. Whatever the case, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all must come to the Father and, and, and respond to his invitation. So if you haven't done that today, today's your day. I don't want to assume anything. Today could be your day to simply say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm ready to accept. I'm ready to receive your love for me, your compassion for me. Maybe that's you today. I know that for many and maybe most have, have, have done that. You've, you've received that and you say, okay, now what do I what do I do with that? How do I, how do I take this truth? I love it. I, I love hearing the greatest hits played, but what do I actually do? I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. How, how do I apply that today? Well, I want to take you back to the, the Pharisees for a minute. Luke 16, 14 says this, the Pharisees 
who love money heard all this, and were, you know, Jesus will tell some other parables, but this is kind of a summary statement. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The Pharisees, they can't see it because they are justifying themselves in the eyes of others. That's their fundamental problem. Now, I want to challenge all of us this morning. Again, if you're if you're distant from God and you've run and, and you, you hear about his reckless love and you just, yes, I'm going to come back. Maybe you're the older brother and you've been trying to figure it out and kind of be on your own self-justification plan and you're ready. But you might be back. You might be at the party, but you may not be experiencing it. And I want to remind us of something this morning. I want to take you to 1 John 3, verse 1. John says this. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And that is what we are. There's a gap here. To be called a child of God and actually affirming that is who you are. That is fundamentally who you are. I want to take you to one of the passages and we'll draw some conclusions. I want to jump down a little bit in, uh, in 1 John 3. And he says this in verse 23, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So my question for you today is this, does your identity come from the approval of others or from the affirmation of the Holy Spirit? Are you continuing, am I, are we continuing to chase after the approval of others? Or are we resting in the affirmation of the Holy Spirit that says you are a child of God? I want to give you three quick shifts, three quick changes this can make in your life. Three mindset shifts, and then I'm going to have to let the Holy Spirit work on those in you this week. And it actually is going to lead into our next series, which has to do with the promises of God and the way the Holy Spirit actually works in us and changes the way we think. But the first one is this. It helps us make a shift from work to wonder. Work to wonder. Anybody busy, really busy, multitasking all the time? Can't even do a workout without listening to a podcast or something. 
That's just the, way, the world we're in. Sometimes we're so busy earning, we're so busy seeking after approval, we need to stop and have some wonder about God and the greatness, the extravagance of his love. I believe we need to make a transition from worry to worship. If you are God's child, if you really believe that to be true, what if that were really, I mean, you, I am a child of God. Whoever you're worried about, do you love that person more or does God love that person more? It's not even a close call. When I begin to grasp, oh, I can worship. I can give worth to the one who, who loves me, who, who, who loves those I love, who is pursuing them. I can rest in that. And then finally, I believe we need to make a shift from comparison to compassion. We spend a lot of our lives comparing ourselves to other people. I was reminded of that uh, just quickly. I got, I got a couple of dogs, and they're prodigals. The youngest one ate the fourth couch. <laughs> Kid you not, four couches he's eaten. My neighbor called me the other day and said, hey, would you take care of my dogs? I said, sure. They're great. I go over there. He said, they'll be back and just let them out. They'll be back in 10 minutes, of course. Nine minutes, 30 seconds, they're back, well-behaved. I'm like, what about my dogs? I'm tired of these dogs. I've given up. When I compare my dogs to these dogs, they're terrible. They're just terrible. When we compare, we see that we're, we're, we're stuck in a transactional mode. Because I don't get much out of those dogs. The kids are gone, and, you know, I don't enjoy them all that much. i got to pay for the vet. i got to pay for their food. i got to pay when I go on... It just costs me too much, and I'm kind of done with them. I don't have any compassion left. Now, that's dogs, and if you're a dog lover, I'm sorry. I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> but do you have compassion for people, or are you just stuck in comparison? I'll let the Holy Spirit work on you with that, but think about who you need to see differently this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, do a work in us now to help us to see you differently, to see your compassion and experience that and respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we think about a, a, a beautiful celebration, when we come to the communion table, that's what we do. We're part of the family. We put our faith and trust in God, and we're invited to come. So what I want to do right now is I, when you're ready, I'll give you about a minute or so to, to reflect, examine your heart. But when you're ready, come up to the table, take the package, come back to your seat, and then we'll receive together in just a moment. The table is open.
I would invite you now as a follower of Jesus, you've, you've accepted that invitation. I want you to hold the bread. I want you to hold the bread in your hand. And we're reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he broke the bread. And after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. May we now receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant, blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. So just as we receive the bread, may we now receive the cup together. Would you pray with me? Father, as we receive the bread and the cup, we say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that reminds us who we truly are. And now we ask your spirit, work in us, move us as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.